Yeah, great, great, great weekend we had with all the Burley men. And I see some, a lot of Burley men shirts out there. And one of the things we learned this weekend from our speaker, Jeff Walling, was that we are called to be Burley holy men. And uh, if you want to learn more about that, maybe ask one of the guys from the, from the conference. So, uh, yeah, it was a great, great weekend, discipleship and fellowship. And if you missed it, you're now going, gosh, man, I should have I made my priorities line out here. Hey, we're going to do it again, okay? We're, we're hoping to do this every year. So uh, make sure that you're a part of the next one. That's right. So, yeah. So I have the privilege of introducing to you our guest speaker today, who is Jeff Walling. He's been with the guys last two days. Uh, just been an amazing, amazing time. He's an amazing, amazing uh, teacher. He used to be a, a senior pastor uh, in North Carolina at Providence Road Church of Christ for, uh, I think, 18 years. And now he's at Pepperdine University in California. Have you ever seen the campus of Pepperdine? It kind of overlooks the ocean. Really rough, rough time there. Uh, but yeah, he's going to share with us this morning just a gifted communicator, a man who loves Jesus, loves God, loves the church. And just uh, it, you're going to be blessed with his uh, message today as he gives us some advice from Joe. And you'll understand what that means in just a few minutes. So let's, let's give it up for him this morning. Let's give a warm Oakwood welcome, Jeff Waller. blessing it's been to be here with you at Oakwood. Uh, I've got to say, there are some of the most wonderful, burly, handsome, awesome men. Let me see if I got all the words the guys gave me to say. Yeah, all right, good. <laughs> Who are here, part of this congregation. So it's a blessing for me. If you're like me and you, for maybe the first time you've been here, I hope you know you've wandered into a place where people really believe that there is an answer for our country. There's an answer for our world, and that is Jesus. Can I get an oh yeah from you on that? So, man, I have enjoyed this weekend, and my mama always said, if somebody invites you to your house, you better invite them to yours. So let me do that. Pepperdine University is a Christian college across the country founded by a gentleman named George Pepperdine who started a company called Western Auto. He was a Christian man from Kansas, and when he started that school, God had, uh, God had plans for it. Let me show you the picture he mentioned. Uh, this is our university. It is right on the ocean. That is the Pacific Coast there. If you can come out every year in May... We hold our own kind of uh, burly Christian conference. We just call it Harbor. It is for not just guys, but guys and gals. And we'll have anywhere from uh, two to 4,000 folks that will come out and sing and praise. We'll have speakers, folks from all across the country. Uh, Bob Russell and Dave Stone and others you may know of have come and spoken at this. But the good news about Harbor is that uh, we give you the dorms. You can get a, a dorm room for you and your spouse if you come together, ocean view with your food. Everything for four days is just about 268 bucks a person. That's not one night. That's for all four days. And I know there are guys saying, well, that's the anniversary trip I can afford right there, baby. <laughs> We're going to Malibu. So... We'd love to have you come out and, uh, and join in that. And you can look it up, Harbor, at Pepperdine University on your phone after services and, uh, and check that out. And if you do, come and, come and say howdy and just say, hey, I'm from the church with all the burly men, and I'll remember Oakwood. If you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter 11. 
And as Eric said, we're going to get some advice from Joe this morning to set it up. I need to let you know, in California over the last couple of years, we struggled with something, I don't even know if you had it here in Oklahoma, called COVID. Did you guys have uh, COVID here? Yeah, I heard you did. In fact, everybody around the world found themselves in a different environment. The Department of Labor recorded that more people changed jobs, quit jobs during COVID, or were looking for other jobs. There were more ministers across the country who stepped away from ministry during this time. It's been a challenging time, I think, for all of us. Can I get a oh yeah? And we are ready to have it in our rearview mirror. Oh, please, Lord, we are ready to have it in our rearview mirror. But my son was one of those who, um, who said, I think I may make a change. He was a videographer, and he's looking around for jobs. And I talked with him sometime back, and he said, man, Rich got the job I wanted. I said, what was it? He said, he's doing sizzle reels for Fox Sports. I said, what's a sizzle reel? He said, Dad, you know what a sizzle reel is. You've seen tons of them. Anytime you see a, you know, like an NBA game and right at the end of the period before they go to the commercial, there's this little three or four second recap of what happened. He said, there's one guy who works in the truck who is the sizzle reel guy. And he only has about six seconds because when they say sizzle six, he's got to look at all the stuff that's happened during the, the period of play. He's actually been pulling it down digitally and pick which two or three things to put together in a quick three or four second montage which has some music behind it. He said, you know, he's got to decide whether he wants the time when the coach got mad or the three-point shot or the guy who's just so excited. And he has six seconds. They'll say, sizzle six. And he goes, okay, one, two, hear this, this. Puts the music in, makes sure it's all right. And three, two, one, it goes out on national television. He said, doesn't that sound like a dream job? I said, man, it sounds like a stomachache to me. <laughs> I mean, how tense would that be? And I got to thinking, yeah, I've seen lots of those. They take the best shots from that period, you know, the, the end zone shot, and they go, yeah, here it is. Do you know that's what God does in Hebrews chapter 11? In the book of Hebrews, he takes Old Testament stories that may take eight chapters to tell and puts it into one sentence, and it's all under this heading. Let's take a look at the first verse of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Can I get you guys to say the word confidence and assurance when we get to them? Here we go. Now, faith is... Confidence. Yeah, you don't sound very confident. Let's try that one more time. Now, faith is... Confidence. In what we hope for and... Assurance. About what we do not see. He goes on to say that this is what the ancients were commended for, and then he starts telling these Old Testament stories. In verse 6, he says this, Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 is story after story after story, only, actually, they're not stories. They're sizzle reels. It, let me explain. Um, Noah's story, for instance. Noah's story takes six or seven chapters in the Old Testament to tell, but here it condenses it down to one sentence. Now, if you're doing Noah's story, what is his one thing you've got to mention about his life. The ark, exactly. We'll take a look at it. The Bible says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and that's the thing that's going to play over and over again. You haven't seen it, but I am sure, if I say sure, 
that God's going to come through in holy fear did what? Read the yellow words out loud. Built an ark to save his family. Now, there it is if you want the Reader's Digest version. Or Abraham. Abraham's got more than 13 chapters written about him, but I tell you what, you can get it all in just three sentences. Here's the first one. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance, read the yellow, obeyed and even though he did not know where he was going. That sounds like a lot of us trying to drive in Dallas. I mean, you know, managing the freeways there, right, or in Los Angeles. Abraham was called by God. You remember this story? He says, come leave your family, your people. And I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you, a promised land that will be given to you and your inheritance. And Abraham says, okay, where is it? And God says, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to give you a map. Well, how do I get there? Just trust me and follow me. Interesting, same words Jesus uses when he calls disciples. And so Abraham, even though he did not know where he was going, he trusts God and follow him. I don't know about you, but I'm way too much of a control freak to do that, right? Somebody pulls up in a car and says, hey, Jeff, get in. I said, where are you going? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, I've seen too many gangster movies to know, do not get in that car. <laughs> if they say, hey, let's go for a ride. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. That guy's not going to be in the next scene in the movie, all right? But Abraham says, okay, God, let's go. And man, what a journey Abraham goes on. And the writer just takes three sentences to sum it all up. Well, I got to thinking about this sizzle reel idea. And I'd read through the Bible a number of times, been a pastor a long time, but I had forgotten how they summed up my mom's favorite Bible character's life. Now, this is not something most preachers will ever do, but I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just close your Bible for a minute. Or if you've got your glowing screen, just put it down. Because I'm going to give you a name. And I'm going to ask you how you would sum up this guy's story in one sentence. This is the 11th son of Jacob. Remember we mentioned Abraham. Abraham had a child of promise named Isaac. And then Isaac had those twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And I'm sure Pastor Eric has taught on this, and you've all memorized them. So let's say them together. Uh, here we go. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun. And then that son who is next to the last, his name starts with a J and ends with Osef. Anybody remember? All right, somebody already got it. Joseph, all right. Joseph's story takes chapters and chapters and chapters in the Old Testament. But the Hebrew writer boils it down to a one-sentence sizzle reel, one verse anyway. Now, remember, you want the three-point shot, you want the main thing, the big thing. You see, this was my mom's favorite Bible character. She had a little, uh, little shoebox of flannel graph pictures. Some of, you, some of my wrinkled homies know what I'm talking about here. Remember those flannel graph things they put up? And she taught Sunday school for years, and when somebody was missing from Sunday school, and they said, Sister Walney, could you sub out? She would show up and tell the story of Joseph. And of course, she had the coat and all the pieces of his story. Do you all remember the life of Joseph? Do you know how big Joseph's story is? Go with me for a second. Maybe you've never heard the story of Joseph. Joseph is the 11th son. He's got 
10 older brothers. How many had several older siblings and survived that? Okay, just yeah, yeah, raise your hand. Good deal. Can you imagine 10 older brothers on the farm with you? And then they find out dad thinks you're his favorite. How did they know? Well, dad brings him this fancy coat. Anybody gives a tuxedo, right, to a farm boy, you know dad's got special ideas about him. And he brings out the coat. Remember what we call it? The coat of many colors. Yeah, maybe some of you seen that musical. And he brings it out and he gives it to his second youngest son. What do you think all the older brothers felt at that moment? You know they were all saying, well, how sweet that Joseph gets that coat. No! They were saying, how come he didn't give that to me? I'm the oldest. I'm the second oldest. Why is he going all the way down there? Even the youngest brother's like, hey, what am I, chopped liver? And so Jacob is doting on Joseph. And that's not all. Joseph had dreams. He had dreams, and bless his heart, he decided he'd tell his brothers about them because they were dreams of his glory. Imagine coming to breakfast. Bible says one of the dreams is Joseph says hey guys. I had a dream about you last night. Oh shut up We don't want to hear from you. No, no, no. I had a dream. You were all stars And they're like, yeah, this is a good dream. Okay He says you were all stars and I had a star and daddy was the Sun and mama was the moon and then the weirdest thing happened the Sun and the moon and all your stars bowed down to my star I mean, that's just asking for a beatdown to tell your older brothers that story. In fact, they hated him so much that one time in the field, they grabbed Joseph and throw him in a well to kill him. They're just sick of the little dreamer. Well, it doesn't kill him. And some of them say, well, let's just throw some rocks on him. And others say, we can't do that. That's wrong. You ever had people who should have had your back not have your back? You ever had people that ought to love you not love you? Let me tell you what, that boy down in that well, he's probably 17 years old at this point. Knows what that feels like. And finally, one of the brothers says, this, we can't kill him, but look, here's some traitors, Ishmaelites. They're heading to Egypt. We'll sell him and make some money. They drag him out of the well, and they sell him to these slavers, and the last thing they do is, excuse me, sir, we'll take the coat. They take that multicolored coat, and they kill a goat, and they dip it in the goat's blood. And they take it back to their father, Jacob, and say, we're so sorry, but there was a terrible accident. Joseph was killed by a wild animal, and we buried him. And Jacob is weeping while Joseph, I believe, is weeping as he can't believe. All of a sudden, he's shackled, taken to Egypt, stood up on a stand, and sold like a piece of meat. Who buys him? A guy named Potiphar, head of the Supermax prison. It literally, his name kind of gets translated the executioner. So he had the death row people that he was watching over. Potiphar takes him to the prison, and Joseph becomes a slave. I mean, he's cleaning out cells. Can you, can you think about this? One day you're at home wearing the fancy coat, and Daddy loves me best. And the next day, you're in another country. You don't know the language. You don't know the people. You're ripped away from your family, and you're a slave. Would that mess with your faith just a little bit? Can I get a, oh yeah? Would that be a moment where you say, God, what's going on here? But Joseph just keeps trusting in God, who he says will surely, everybody say surely, surely not forget me. And he says, Daddy's coming. I'm sure my daddy's coming. That's what I'd have been thinking. My dad's going to come find me. Only he doesn't. 
Jacob's left, or probably Joseph is left there in Egypt. What he does do is he keeps trusting God, and he does a good job. And Potiphar says, man, you're awesome. I'm going to make you in charge. You're no longer sweeping the floors. I want you to be my manager. In fact, I'm going to put you over my entire household. What? Oh, yeah. Joseph's life is like, Dad loves me. Oh, my brothers hate me. I'm sold into slavery. Wow. All of a sudden now I'm the manager of the household. But there's another loop on the roller coaster, isn't there? Oh, remember, you have one verse. you got to sum all this up in one verse. Because when he's in charge of everything, a woman notices him. The problem is the woman is his boss's wife. Yeah, the Bible says, here's what the Bible says, that she noticed that Joseph was handsome and well-built. I'm confident many of the men in this church know the burden of being handsome and well-built. You know what it's like to walk through the mall and have female necks snap and say, Woo, who is that, right? Except poor Joseph, 18, 19 years old, and the boss's wife comes on to him. Yeah, think about that, guys. You're away from family, you're away from everybody, and this beautiful, powerful woman is saying, hey, good looking. What you got cooking? <laughs> How's about cooking something up? I mean, we know where this is heading, right? I am so impressed with this young man. He says, ma'am, no way. How could I possibly do that? I would be shaming your husband. I would be shaming my God. Man, I love Joseph's virtue. Absolutely not. But she doesn't give up. Scripture says she comes to him day after day. Finally, she grabs him by his coat and says, come to bed with me. Now, guys, I'll be honest. If I'm 17 or 18, I'm a long way from home, and a woman grabs me. I'm finally saying, Lord, she's got my coat. I'm sorry. There's just nothing I can do, right? I mean, at some point, you just, but not Joseph. Remember what he does? He whips that coat off and runs out of the house. Can I pull over and just say to all the young people in the room, sometimes the smartest thing you can do is not to fight the battle, but get out of the room. Just get out of there. Can I get an oh yeah from some moms and dads in the room? Just get out of that party, get out of that place. And that's what Joseph does. He runs out, and here is this woman holding his coat, angry. Problem is, she's still holding it when her husband comes through the door at the end of the day. Look what your servant tried to do to me. He tried to rape me. He tried to take advantage of me. Her husband head explodes, and he says, That's it. You're not the boss. You're now a prisoner on death row. I mean, Joseph literally is wondering, I did the right thing, God, and maybe they'll kill me? You ever done the right thing and then got in trouble for it? You ever told the truth and ended up having people hate you for it? You ever stood up with, for what's right and had people turn their back on you? Joseph had. He knows what that feels like. By the way, you got one verse, just, just one verse, and it's just getting good, right? Because he's down there in that prison, and in his cell is a, buck, a baker and a butler, and these two men had worked for the most powerful man in the world in his day, the Pharaoh. And they're both there. I'm betting they're there because of an assassination attempt, and they got blamed because that's the way you'd assassinate somebody in the old days. The best way to get to the king was a little something in the wine or a little something in the bread. And here they were, heads down, saying, oh, terrible things are going to happen. And both of them said, hey, young man, we've had awful dreams. Can we tell you about our dreams? And Joseph's like, don't talk to me about dreams, man. Dreams got me here a long time ago. And they say, no, no, listen. He says, all right, I'll tell you about dreams. 
So they both tell him the dreams. And he says to the butler, your dream means that you're going to be back in Pharaoh's service within just a couple of weeks. He says, yay! And the baker says, what about my dream? He says, your dream means you're going to be dead in two weeks. And, and sure enough, that's what happens. This poor guy gets hung. This poor guy gets returned to Pharaoh's service, must have been cleared of whatever crime he was accused of. And as he goes, Joseph says, hey, remember me when you get to your master. And the guy says, yeah, and he doesn't. You ever been forgotten? You ever had somebody promise and not come through? And Joseph is sitting in a cell, still saying, God, I know you're surely going to come through. Well, he does. You remember how? Pharaoh has a bad dream. The butler is there giving him his wine. Cupbearer, they call him. And he says, sir, you look terrible. He says, man, I have not slept. I had terrible dreams. What kind? He said, I had a dream, Pharaoh says, of seven cows, seven fat cows coming out of the Nile River. And then behind them come seven skinny cows. And the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows, and they don't gain any weight, which, by the way, is the diet I've been looking for. All the beef you want to eat and not gain any weight, right? Pharaoh says, it's just making me crazy. And same thing about ears of corn. And the butler says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know a guy who does dreams. He says, where is he? Well, he's down in your prison. Well, get him. And in an instant, Joseph goes from prisoner to standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I hear you do dreams. Here's my dream. Tell me my... And Joseph says, okay, sir, I can tell you your dream, but you're not going to like what I've got to say because the seven fat cows, God showed me that they represent seven years of wonderful harvest for Egypt. But the seven skinny cows, they represent seven years of famine. And during the years of famine, your people will eat all the grain from the years of good harvest, and they'll run out, and your country will die of starvation. Pharaoh says, my word, this has been revealed to you? Yes. Well, we need somebody to plan. I need a, I need a department of agriculture. You, why not you? And Joseph says, me? And Pharaoh says, yes, absolutely. You be my new department of agriculture head. So you know what Joseph does? With God's guidance, he saves up grain. And while everybody else, when they hit the seven years of famine in the land, everybody else is starving. Egypt is fat and happy. In fact, they've got extra grain. People start coming to Egypt to say, please. And who do they have to come to but a young Israelite boy named Joseph who now has been in Egypt for more than a decade and must look like an Egyptian wearing the Egyptian robes of power, maybe the King Tut kind of look. You say, what makes you think he looked like that? The next thing that happens, his brothers down in Canaan are starving. And they hear, there's food in Egypt. There's a guy up there who, who can give us food. Well, let's go. And dad lets 10 of them go. And the 10 brothers come walking. Is this too cool? Think about this. The 10 brothers who sold him into slavery come walking in and guess what they do when they get in front of Joseph, not recognizing him. They bow down just like the dream. They bow down before him. Now, of course, Joseph is unrecognizable because now he talks like an Egyptian and walks like an Egyptian. I mean, you know, you know that drill. But 
but his brothers are still wearing their same VBS costumes. And so, you know, he, he, he's looking down and he goes, oh my Lord, these are my brothers. But he doesn't let them know. And they say, sir, please, please, can you give us some food? Tell me what you would do if all of a sudden the guys who wrecked your life are right in your hand. All he had to do was say, guards, these are spies. Take them and throw them in jail. Take them and kill them. He could have had his way. Oh, man, that's tough. I don't know, I don't know about you, but that's tough not to have that. Ugh! But instead, what does Joseph do? Oh, he messes with him a little bit with a golden cup, you know, to get Benjamin there. But the bottom line is, he says, guys, you don't recognize me. It's kind of Scooby-Doo, you know, kind of pulls off. I'm envisioning the, the headset, maybe wipes away the makeup. And he says, it's me. It's your brother. I'm Joseph. And instead of being happy, they go, oh, no, <laughs> you know, it's home alone time ah, for them because they're like, oh, this is the guy we threw. Oh, no, no, please don't. And he says, don't worry. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And I'm here to save you. And not only did Joseph save them, but Joseph saved you. You say, wait a minute, how? Remember the brothers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then there was a brother named Judah. Do you know who Judah is? The great, 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 or so grandfather of Jesus Christ. That's why we sing Lion of Judah. And Joseph is used by God to save the lineage. Wow, what a story. You got one verse. One verse. Now buckle your seatbelt. Because I remember reading that one verse and thinking, what? You ready? Here we go. We're going to look at it together. going to put it up on the screen. One verse. <clears throat> by faith, Joseph when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones, period. Who was in the truck when that verse got selected for the sizzle reel is what I want to know. I mean, doesn't it make you want to shout hallelujah, right? No, it doesn't. Look at it. Let's read it out loud. See if we can make it sound important. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the, of the Israelites from, and gave instruction about his. Yeah, I know. I felt the same way. What about the woman? What about the dream? What about saving Israel? What about all the things that God did through him? I had to go back. Let me show you where it is. If you got your Bible, go to Genesis. That verse is about the very last chapter. In fact, the last two or three paragraphs in the book of Genesis. This is astounding. I'm reading this verse saying, his bones? This is it? Here's the background. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family, and he lived to be 110 years old and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. And they were placed on his knee. He, it's saying Joseph lived a long, long life, 80-plus years in Egypt. Now, let that sink in. 80 years. His brothers, they're 
sons and daughters, their sons and daughters, all the way down to his great-grandkids. And then this happens. Take a look at it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, now he's 110, I'm about to die. Well, if he's 110, he probably said, I'm about to die. <laughs> but, but God will, everybody say, surely, surely, come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made them, that is these Israelites, swear an oath. And he said, God will come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place Ugh. i mean i say Ugh, because it says so joseph died at the age of 110 and after that they embalmed him he was placed in a coffin in egypt end of the book of genesis i know it took me a while too <laughs> i had to read over that thing three or four times until it hit me joseph's three-point shot was knowing that his family was giving up on God, giving up on the promise. Oh, God will surely come. I, I can imagine every time, every year on his birthday, he'd gather all the, all the kids together to tell them, and then some of those grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids must have been saying, if great-grandpa does the promised land speech one more time, I'm going to puke. I'm so sick of it. Every time he's like, this is not our home. Yes, this is our home. My mom was born here. My mom's mom was born here. My mom's mom, mom was born here. Great grandpa, dude, give it up. This is as good as it gets. We're not Israelites anymore. We're Egyptian, dude. And Joseph realizes, I'm going to die. And I will not have seen your promise come true. But I know you are faithful. Do you hear that? Joseph says, I know you're faithful. And he has a brilliant idea. He calls over one of the little grandkids and says, you're going to pinky swear something with me, buddy. Here's the swear. Don't let him bury me. Grandpa, that's weird. I know. But listen, don't let him bury me. What do you want us to do with your body, Grandpa? Put it in the coffin. Just put it in the box. And just let me rot. And then when there's nothing but bones, um, you got something you carry? You got a backpack or something? He says, yeah, take my bones, put them in your backpack. <laughs> Grandpa, what if I go to school and somebody says, hey, what's in your backpack? What am I going to tell them? My great-grandpa? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Grandpa, that's creepy. Why do you want me to have them in my backpack? Because listen to me, buddy. God will surely. God will come to your aid and he's going to take you up to the promised land because this land this world is not your home you're just a passing through and your treasures are laid up in another place and he did it and when Joseph died and when a new Pharaoh came on and when Israel was put into slavery and when they cried out to God and when God raised up, raised up a man named Moses and when that man named Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, guess what they took with them? Joseph in a backpack. 
Because if you want to see Joseph's bones, if you want to go to his burial place today, don't go to Cairo, go to Jerusalem. Because Joseph is buried in Israel. Because he knew, even though he wasn't going to see it with his eyes, he knew it was going to happen. And with his dying breath, he said, don't give up on God. Now, brothers and sisters, during the pandemic, there have been more than a few families I know whose kids, maybe in their 20s, maybe in their 30s, said, you know what? I don't even know if we're going to go back to church. I don't even know what I believe anymore. And Joseph says, can I give you some advice? Pick up your head and look where you're going. Because soon and very soon, we are going to see the... Do you know this one? Soon and very soon, we are... And, and for some of us, it's sooner than others. Can I get a oh yeah? Um, let's, can we be real here? Some of us have more road behind us than we do in front of us. If you're one of those people, say, oh yeah, go ahead. And so what are we going to do with this young generation? I can't believe how many of these people don't go to church anymore. Joseph said, dude, just get a hold of their chins and pick them up from their phones and say, hey, where are you going? I don't mean where are you going for lunch. I mean where are you going, 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 because he says, I'll tell you where you're going. You're going to the promised land. You're going home because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's Joseph's brilliance. And brothers and sisters, that's got to be ours today. So can I ask a kind of personal question? Can your kids, can your family, can your colleagues, can they tell from the way you live your life, you're going somewhere. And it isn't just Chick-fil-A on Monday. You are going somewhere. And it's not Disney World on vacation. You are going to be with God forever in the place we want to be with the ones we want to be with so how can you tell well if somebody's excited about where they're going they're looking where they're heading <laughs> i'll tell it fast i watched a lady text her way into a pillar in the chicago airport she's a businesswoman dressed in this black business suit never forget she's she's texting while she's walking and she's late and she's doing this just just i mean zooming zooming down this hallway and there's this great big old pillar now the only reason i noticed her is because she ran over my foot with her rollerboard didn't say anything and i'm looking up saying and then i see her like a torpedo heading for that pillar and i thought she's going to get right there and then go oh my goodness oh and everybody's going to laugh and i so yeah i'm sorry i did not say look out i just watched <laughs> i just watched only um she didn't look up she had her head down, and she hit that thing doing about 20 miles an hour. And when she hit it, it was metal, and it kind of went bong, 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 bong. And everybody in the airport looked over, and she was like, oh, on her high heels. And I thought, oh, she's going down. <laughs> but she managed not to, got it together, stared at the pillar, then looked at all of us looking at her and said, who put that there? And then zipped on around it. I had to laugh, and then I realized, God, that's us. 
We get so focused on, oh, the latest Facebook post, or what did so-and-so say, or what did the president do, or what's happening in the world, or what's going on with Russia. And Joseph reaches out from history and says, hey, buddy, how about you look up and look where you're going? Because God will surely bring Jesus, and you want to be ready. Can I get a oh, yeah? And God will surely take his people home, and that's what you want. God will surely let your kids see it, let your family see it. Somebody says, well, preacher, are you telling me, so if I'm a Christian, nothing bad's going to happen? Dude, did you hear the story of Joseph? <laughs> I mean, you know, boom, boom, boom. No, there are going to be difficulties, but here's the difference. We know what the end is. And Joseph said last time, God will surely keep his promises because we believe in a God who is faithful. So yeah, soon as services are over, I got to bust it out of here. I got to get to the airport. And yeah, I'm going to get on a plane. And yes, there's no guarantee that when that plane takes off and we get up, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000 feet in the air taking off, that all of a sudden the right engine won't shudder. And just imagine if it just shudders and just explodes and the left engine shakes and falls off. And then the pilot looks in the windows and sees all this, and he has a heart attack and dies. And the co-pilot looks over, and he has a stroke, and it kills him. And, I, and I'm back there, and a guy in front of me jumps up and says, I'm a terrorist, and he's got bombs all over his coat. And, and a woman drops her cigarette and lights the plane on fire. I mean, every bad thing that could possibly happen. And we're up in the air, and the plane goes, and it is heading towards the ground. And yes, Satan might whisper in my ear, Oh, look where you're going. Well, buddy, look where you're going. And you said God loved you. And you said Jesus died for you. Let me tell you, the last thing Satan is going to hear from me. <laughs> did, you, did you guys have the cartoon called The Roadrunner? Did you, did you guys have The Roadrunner cartoon? Remember how The Roadrunner, no matter what happened, who was the, there was a coyote. Oh, yeah, Wiley Coyote. They used to chase him and always, and he'd get, as a kid, I used to watch that cartoon and think, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But every time, a truck would come out of a painted tunnel and mow the coyote down, <laughs> and the Roadrunner would be fine. I thought for a while the Roadrunner was just, you know, super smart. I thought he was the smartest bird of all. No, no, no. You know what the Roadrunner's secret is? He had an agreement with the writer of the cartoon. No matter what happened, the writer would just write him out of the problem. No matter what happened, he ended up on top. So yeah, if everything goes bad on my flight, and that flight, before that plane hits Oklahoma Earth and explodes, the last thing Satan's going to hear from me is, me, me, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> because I have an agreement with the writer of history, and the good news this morning is he offers that same agreement to you. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, let me be clear. Pick up your head and look where you're going. Because we're not getting any younger. Amen? And this world isn't all of a sudden getting any better. Amen? But my Father's love for you is faithful. And praise God, His love for me is too. And all I need to do is place my faith like Joseph in a God who will surely send Jesus, who so loved us that he died for us. And I believe Jesus didn't want us to forget that. 